They've tried all kinds of effort to blame, mm-hmm. even organized protests. In fact, two days ahead of that protest, I posted several messages on my Facebook page, personal Facebook page, in which I warned against the use of violence. I even mm-hmm. called out political party leaders, both in the opposition and in the ruling party, who I knew were actually laying the foundation for such a disastrous, tragic episode. So I had warned against it before it happened, which is why it's so difficult for them to do, because I have being one of the people even leading to the elections. I posted several messages. I issued audio broadcasts warning against uh, demonstrations leading up to the election, warning against violence. This message is a part of the Africanist press and the Right for Justice campaign for promote free, fair, and peaceful elections. We will continue for reminding of the importance of the electoral process and the need for keep the peace. Stay calm, stay easy, go out and cast your ballot. Vote for your candidate. Vote for the party we want and vote for them peacefully. Until then, I want to tell you now all thank you and stay blessed. My name is Nacharno Alphaba, me and the editor in chief of the African Express, and I bring this message on behalf of the Right for Justice and the African Express campaign for free and fair elections in Sierra Leone. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to part three of my interview with Charno Ba and my investigation into the story of the Africanist Press. If you're not in Sierra Leone, you may wonder why the publication of documents exposing corruption in this small West African country are important beyond its borders. It is because freedom of the press, censorship, and cyber surveillance are issues of human rights affecting us all. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you may be interested to learn how our government, a handful of U.S. lobbyists, and a former Green Beret are involved. We'll start with a segment from Cherno about Cognite. The government also hired what we call cyber mercenaries, companies that are based in the United States and in other parts of the world, including Cognite, which is based in Israel, to help suppress information that's coming from the African Express. How we came to find about this is the fact that we saw transaction details, money. When we calculated, we found out this is evidence of two companies, monies that were sent to Israel, to Cognite, and also to Nordstar Enterprise. These are two of the examples showing the government's use of $5 million as payment to these companies to provide two services. One, to provide cyber security services for the banks in Sri Lanka, and secondly, to launch an operation against the African Express to take us basically offline to prevent the circulation of information from the African Express. And since this time, we noticed an ongoing attack on our website where the information we are putting, our website was attacked, my Facebook pages, and up to now it's still ongoing. It's an ongoing process where our website sometimes is taken offline. We have to fight to bring it up again. The last attack included the flooding of dangerous malware and all kinds of uh, viruses into the website that took out some of the documents. We've also replaced those documents back to the website. We have Mm -hmm. um, redesigned even the website as part of that ongoing effort. So in addition to this government effort to criminalize our work, the death threats and the harassment, even the effort to circulate information, my Facebook pages, my social media accounts, and the African Express website, including my my telephones, I receive organized disturbing phone calls. So as you've heard in previous segments of my interviews with Cherno, their website 
has been attacked. They've had their documents removed and people just have trouble accessing the website. So at one point early on, I was able to capture this on my phone. So it goes to the Africanus Press website for about 30 seconds, and then it starts routing you to other websites until it lands on what looks to be an offer. Click here to get a VPN. Brian here, who has a certification cybersecurity plus, can explain this a lot better than I can, and will give us a little information about what's happening. So essentially what's happened is that a threat actor uh, is exploiting vulnerabilities usually within the web website's content management system or via plugins or other software components. That's a common method for hackers to, to attack websites in that way. We could compromise passwords is another vector. They can use uh, methods such as cross-site scripting or SQL injection, these kinds of methods. If there's a way of filling in a form on a, on a website, if the website isn't secured properly, those forms can be used to upload malicious. Uh, okay, so if you have a website where people are allowed to submit something to, right. is that that's, that's kind of a common, doorway a common vector correct i see okay okay and obviously if you see something like a vpn don't click on it right but we've learned uh from the meta report which we'll get into in a little bit that you don't always have to click on this is this was terrifying to me when i learned about this that there's something called zero click so i've right. got a clip of zero click and this is from Citizen Lab. In 2020, an Al Jazeera journalist suspected his iPhone was being targeted with Pegasus spyware. So he turned to Citizen Lab for help. Detailed in their forensics report, Citizen Lab installed a VPN on the phone so that they could log all of the internet traffic with that phone. Soon enough, that phone was targeted. The logs showed an unusually high number of connections with a specific iCloud partition. In the 54 minutes before Pegasus spyware was installed, the iPhone made 228 anomalous connections with the iCloud partition. This represented 88% of the connections with the iCloud partition in the 3,000 hours they logged. The connections to the iCloud resulted in a net download of roughly 2 megabytes of data and a net upload of 1.25 megabytes of data. This download likely contained scripts that commanded the phone to connect to the Pegasus spyware installation server because one minute after the last connection to the iCloud, the phone connected with the Pegasus installation server and downloaded Pegasus spyware. From the logs we can conclude, Apple servers delivered the exploit. Much is still unknown about many of the zero-click exploits that have been used. It is challenging to consistently observe them. Apple as well as other developers do not release many details about the vulnerabilities. Amnesty International conducted multiple forensic analyses of process logs and activity logs of multiple phones with Pegasus infections that came from zero-click exploits that leveraged Apple Music, Apple Photos, and iMessage. Right after connections to Apple servers, they observed various indicators that Pegasus spyware was installed and running. They were unable to conclude if the Apple infrastructure had a vulnerability that was exploited or if Apple's infrastructure functionality was simply used to deliver the exploit to the target phone. These exploits were triggered by simply texting or calling the phone. It didn't matter if the user interacted or not. Zero-click exploits are a game changer for cybersecurity. There's really no way to avoid these. I think you, you mentioned something about running updates frequently. Yes. So you do want to make sure that your applications are kept up to date, that your operating system is kept up to date. But as we know, these are mainly executed by very sophisticated threat actors such as nation states or very well-organized hacker organizations. 
Yeah, I heard something on Darknet Diaries where they were talking about a, a journalist that was targeted and they just sent a text and it was like a spam text. And it was like, do you want to get more yes or no? Right. And that just by clicking no, they were then able to locate where he was. Okay. Thank you, Brian. So the meta report, it explains that cyber mercenaries often claim that their services only target criminals and terrorists. Their months-long investigation concluded that targeting is in fact indiscriminate and includes journalists, dissidents, critics of authoritarian regimes, families of opposition, and human rights activists. So Facebook said that these cyber surveillance for hire companies were going too far. Obviously, if you're a journalist, you're an activist, are likely to be a target. But it's not just those people that are at risk. It's also just regular people that are on social media platforms. The information they're receiving is manipulated. And any speech that is counter to what the government is saying was manipulated. And that's what we learned in this testimony. Two days ago, my colleagues and I published the first batch of internal files from the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, which show U.S. and U.K. military contractors working in 2019 and 2020 to both censor and turn sophisticated psychological operations and disinformation tactics developed abroad against the American people. Many insist that all that we identified in the Twitter files, the Facebook files, and the CTI files were legal activities by social media platforms to take down content that violated the terms of service. Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, and other big tech companies are privately owned, people point out, and free to censor content. And government officials are free to point out wrong information, they argue. But the First Amendment prohibits the government from abridging freedom of speech. The Supreme Court has ruled that the government may not induce, encourage, or promote private persons to accomplish what is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish, and there's now a large body of evidence proving that the government did precisely that. What's more, the whistleblower who delivered the CTIL files to us says that its leader, a quote-unquote former British intelligence analyst, was quote-unquote in the room at the Obama White House in 2017 when she received the instructions to create a counter-disinformation project to quote, stop a repeat of 2016. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency, CISA, has been the center of gravity for much of the censorship, with the National Science Foundation financing the development of censorship and disinformation tools and other federal government agencies playing a supportive role. Emails from CISA's NGO and social media partners show that CISA created the Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, in 2020 which involved the Stanford Internet Observatory and other U.S. government contractors. EIP and its successor, the Virality Project, urged Twitter, Facebook, and other platforms to censor social media posts by ordinary citizens and elected officials alike. EIP reported that they had a 75% response rate from the platforms and that 35% of the URLs that they reported were either removed, labeled, um, or throttled, or soft-blocked. In 2020, the Department of Homeland Security, CISA, violated the First Amendment and interfered in the election, while in 2021, CISA and the White House violated the First Amendment and undermined America's response to the COVID pandemic by demanding that Facebook and Twitter censor content that Facebook itself said was, quote-unquote, often true, including about vaccine side effects. All of this is profoundly un-American. 
One's commitment to free speech means nothing if it does not extend to your political enemies. In his essential new book, Liar in a Crowded Theater, Jeff Kosef, a law professor at the United States Naval Academy, shows that the widespread view that the government can censor false speech and or speech that quote-unquote causes harm is mostly wrong. The Supreme Court has allowed very few constraints on speech. For example, the test of incitement to violence remains its immediacy. I encourage Congress to defund and dismantle the government organizations involved in censorship. The ending bit there also made me think of Charno's case because speech, what it has to meet to be called inciting violence is, is very strict. And Charno has also dealt with that because I think powers that be try to blame any dissident voices for being the cause for any reaction, any protest against the government because they're shooting the messenger instead of placing blame where it should be, which is people are rightfully angered about the corruption that was revealed through these documents. But I'll go now to the section, Cherno, where he's talking about the meta report as well. I'm glad you showed the meta report. What Facebook found out was that, among other things, this cyber surveillance for hire companies, including Cognite, are being hired by dictatorial regimes around the world to attack the right to free speech and freedom of expression, and also to target journalists and human rights campaigners, human rights defenders, and democratic opponents of these uh, repressive regimes around the world, to the extent that both the European Union and the United States also say openly that they are against these companies. In mm -hmm. fact, there are lawsuits in the United States. Companies like Cognite, uh, we know about Pegasus, but these are more sophisticated, more than the Pegasus operation. So much has been talked about Pegasus. But what Cognite is doing is super dangerous to the extent, like you said, no click. They will send a message to your phone and then that authorizes them or gives them direct access to your private records, including your phone calls. They can listen. At the same time that Facebook was finding out this. We then discovered not just that the Australian government was as high as this, but we showed the evidence of the money that was paid to them. In total, we aggregated over $5 million. It's not allegations. In fact, that is a serious violation. A government of Sierra Leone cannot contract right. a private company against to suppress the human rights, to, to help the government of Sierra Leone clamp down or violate the rights of its own, privacy rights of its own citizens. And they did this in secret. Nobody in the country was aware that such a company has been hired and that that amount of money has been spent illegally and secretly to hire the services of this company. So that in itself in a, in a country like Sierra Leone, it should raise a parliamentary probe, not just on the aspect of the violation of the privacy rights of citizens, but also the use of mo money in such a clandestine operation. As Cherno stated there, in Sierra Leone, as well as in the U.S., it is illegal for the government to use a private company or a private entity as a proxy. And that also made me think of a current lawsuit. Consortium News is suing the government and a company called NewsGuard. And I want to play that clip here. It's important to point out that uh, the government, while it's prevented by the First Amendment from censoring or, or, or bridging the free speech of anyone, they cannot legally use a private company. That's what I think we're seeing here, a proxy, uh, where the U.S. cannot do something, they are using a private company, in this case, NewsGuard. Is that right, Bruce? 
Yeah, I would point out that the law says very clearly that just because the government does this through a private entity doesn't mean it is not a violation of the Constitution. Where the government facilitates or works closely with the private entity or pays for it, that private entity's actions are considered governmental action. And so we've alleged here that NewsGuard is violating the First Amendment rights of Consortium News and others, uh, and is working in concert with the government jointly to do so. And this violates the First Amendment. And obviously, this is somewhat of a new question. You know, there's very little case law in the area of the government using private entities to stigmatize news organizations. And we'll see where this goes. But we think it very clearly violates the U.S. Constitution. You said that he was there actually a year prior and he was working with the police? Yes, Torres has been in Sierra Leone for more than a year before the disclosure, before the registration. Check that registration document. It's supposedly registered in August of 2023. Torres was there already working with the Sierra Leone police. We have that evidence. If you go to our website, in fact, the recent article we published on, um, I think, November 2nd or 3rd, um, you will see photographs in that website of Torres with the police leadership in Sierra Leone. Those were pictures that were taken around a year before the disclosure of this document. I think what they were trying to do is to legitimize an uh, undisclosed operation where foreign intelligence cyber companies and foreign intelligence officers, some of whom were retired military officers from the United States and other parts of Europe, who have been hired as part of a larger counterinsurgency program to suppress free speech, to criminalize dissent, to also clamp down on the effort of any citizen of Sierra Leone, both within the country and outside of the country, who is calling for the enforcement of the rule of law, the transparency. So this is just the principal task of these operations is basically targeting the African Express. As we said, by the time the Office of National Security was writing that letter, calling for what they call the admonition of the African Express Torres and all these multinational security and cyber intelligence groups were already present in Sierra Leone. The evidence is there in the public. Media reports have mentioned that. Mm -hmm. And what it underlines is the heavy international involvement in Sudan affairs to the extent that international investment and uh, international relations is being conducted against the rights and liberties, civil liberties of Sudan citizens both at home and abroad. I am currently in exile as a consequence of my decision or my, or my action to publish public interest information, performing my role as a member of the press, as an individual who is raising democratic questions and who hasn't done anything but trying to make sure that the quality of governance in the country is uh, improved, that governments must be held accountable, and uh, the impunity that goes along with the misuse of public funds should be addressed. And now the government is hiring international companies, international intelligence agencies, cyber technologies to harass and come against individuals like myself. So I think there is an issue here, an international issue, and this means that the United States has a responsibility to investigate, to order an investigation. The money that's been used to embolden dictatorship, a money that's been used to finance 
an operation that is eroding democratic rights, and uh, that means that the U.S. is being implicated. So the U.S. government has a responsibility to clarify these issues by investigating whether they are acting alone or they are acting on behalf of U.S. agencies and U.S. corporate interests in the country. It has to be clarified. The other group that is involved, this is the lobbying group. Sierra Leone reaches out to Mercury. Mercury Public Affairs is negotiating a contract to represent the West African nation of Sierra Leone. The pact is expected to include PR, government relations, and outreach to U.S. officials and media outlets. The U.S. State Department has expressed concerns regarding irregularities in the June 24th election in which President Bio was declared the winner. Mercury will have six staffers representing Sierra Leone. That includes ex-congressman Toby Moffat, who once chaired Mayor Brown's Africa practice, Brian Lanza, who was communications director for the Trump transition, and Eric Bloom, former senior producer for the CBS Evening News. Toby Moffat, Brian Lanza, and Eric bloom. This is what people of Sierra Leone think about that. There's deep anger across many parts of Sierra Leone as President Bio hires a U.S. advertising and publicity agency to clean up his government's poor image abroad. So instead of fixing the problems, they're hiring U.S. lobbying firms and PR firms to polish it up. Now, here is the other FARA registration for Mercury Public Affairs, received August 17th, 2023. Another weird piece of this puzzle is, in addition to Cognite, you've heard Cherno talk about Cognite, he also mentions there's a company called North Star Enterprise. Cherno and other writers for Africanist Press have looked and have not been able to find that much information about that company. I've done the same, and there are a couple companies that have very similar names, but we can't pinpoint exactly what it is, but it looks to be that it supplies security gear, which might include tech stuff, but to specifically police gear. Cherno showed in the documents millions of dollars that was given to Cognite and to this North Star Enterprise. This money went through the New York Federal Reserve Bank. All of those financial transactions occurred prior to any FARA registration by Jerry Torres. So, Cherno, you've written a letter to the State Department. This is directly to Anthony Blinken. There have to be some people that are willing to look and see what's going on. Jason Small, he's on LinkedIn. It says, Managing Director Africa, Alicia Robinson Morgan. They're part of this group, and if they just started their scorecard, I think they need to look a little bit more closely, and maybe if they get a lot of letters, emails, and social media even, and constructive ways that aren't things that, you know, the state can just use as an excuse to crack down on people's civil liberties more, right? Yes, I I think that, like you said, that that has been our appeal. We believe that such violations can be also corrected democratically. And mm-hmm. that's why I have, in addition to reporting on these issues, we have taken up a campaign to write to international officials and organizations. I've personally written letters to many international organizations, including the U.S. State Department. I've also spoken directly to some of these uh, representatives of the U.S. government, telling them not just what I have experienced as an individual that is 
citizen of Sierra Leone that is now in exile as a consequence of the growing repression, the clampdown on democratic rights in the country, but also what potential consequences that this ongoing situation will have on human rights, on the respect for the rule of law, and also for the quality of governance in the country. And the reason why I do that is because I believe there should be, at minimum, a precondition for international engagement with Sierra Leone, the respect for human rights that the government of Sierra Leone has to respect its own obligation to its own citizens. So I wrote those letters to make sure that individuals who are engaged with the government of Sierra Leone will not claim that they are unaware. I know they are aware of the situation. I've spoken to some of them in private. So my effort to write and also publish those letters publicly is to make sure that the world is aware. So I'm calling on all citizens of the world, including citizens of the United States and human rights organizations, people who are concerned about transparency and peace, to help us hold the government of Sierra Leone accountable, to help enforce transparency, to call on the U.S. government also to make sure that they raise these issues with their partners in Sierra Leone. It is possible to have international relations with Sierra Leone, but those international relations must not be conducted at the detriment of the rights and liberty and freedoms of Sierra Leone citizens. The United States has an obligation to make sure that their partners respect the democratic rights of their own citizens. We hope other colleagues in the media and international civil society organizations can raise these issues. Our only strength is within each other, and uh, we are calling for solidarity with the very peaceful and democratic struggles. I encourage the people of Sierra Leone to keep the peace. I believe that we can correct the situation through the peaceful methods that we have used. I will keep encouraging people to do that. Working on this story uh, did not think anything but have anything to do with Israel. But something that stuck out to me is I'm reading this meta report, the overwhelming majority of these cyber surveillance companies are Israeli. And I just wondered, it just piqued my curiosity, like, why is that? So I did some digging and I found there's something called Unit 8200, which Netanyahu himself has called Israeli NSA. But these are some really intense hackers. They can hack your car, which made me think of Vault 7. If you're interested, I highly recommend go look up on YouTube. Just look up Unit 8200. You'll find information on it. I know that Charno hopes that the result of his publications of exposing the corruption is that people pay attention and other officials do something and other media people pick up the story and talk about it. Right after Cherno released the documents showing the First Lady's bank account, the Secretary of the Opposition Party, which is the APC Party, opposite President Bio, declared that he did want something done, that it should be looked into. Uh, as a party, we are very much concerned about the regulations uh, recently 
from the African Express, and uh, prior to that, of course, from the audit reports of 2018 and 2019. We raised concerns, we even issued a press release demanding answers from State House on the many allegations with, you know, documents to back up these allegations from the Africanist press on um, misappropriations in the office of the President and that of the First Lady, I mean bank withdrawals, disbursements, utilization of public funds, soliciting money from private businesses uh, by the office of the First Lady for, you know, activities that we are yet to ascertain whether in fact these activities were carried out. So for the Anti-Corruption Commission to now come uh, with the view of watering down the seriousness of these allegations uh, levied against the office of the President and that of the First Lady, I think is unfortunate. And for us as a political party, we cannot dictate to him how he does his job. But he needs to tell us what exactly he wants to investigate, spanning back to 14 years ago. It doesn't seem much has been said since that, and that's almost three years ago. I am hopeful that this information, as more people, government officials, other media, learn of what's really going on once they have this information, they have these documents, that they will look into it. And I am hopeful. Recently, we've had a State Department official resign, Josh Paul. I do think people will object when they see things they are not comfortable with, that they think violate the law, or they need, they want to speak up and be a whistleblower. I think it is hopeful that that can happen, and I do hope that some people, maybe within Millennium Challenge Corporation or someone, other people in the government of Sierra Leone, will step forward. Just the very end of November, this letter to the Millennium Challenge Corporation, they're expressing concern over Sierra Leone's continued eligibility for that program. I was surprised just strange coincidence. This is Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and it is James Risch and Christopher Coons. And I immediately knew the name because just very recently, Aaron Monte, who is an excellent journalist with the Gray Zone News, was on a train and confronted Coons. So you might recognize him from that think that clip went viral, was not about Sierra Leone. He was addressing him about the situation in Gaza. If you've been following this story, if you're in Sierra Leone or you're in the U.S. and you would like to get involved writing letters, emails, social media, we will have more information to come about that very soon. And we will keep fighting for journalism to operate as the fourth estate. We will keep fighting against government censorship and we will fight against cyber surveillance companies, governments to use those as proxies to spy on and suppress average citizens that violates human rights. Independent journalists rely on the public and on others in the field who refuse to be stenographers for power. As editor and co-producer of Assange Countdown to Freedom for three and a half years, and as a journalist covering stories that don't always make headlines, I know very well what we're up against. I've interviewed many political candidates who were completely ignored by the media, and I continue to talk about election transparency, a largely taboo topic these days. I will be calling on everyone I know in independent media to help get Cherno's story out.
Thank you for listening. I'm Kelly Lane.
Afrika vero a Congo aginya mama ye idogie aneni dipokacha kochwe kaneni Ni <laughs> ni